be persistently consistent with what I call the website conversion conversation, which is that whole process of helping people get to know you mm-hmm. so they find their own reasons to like you and make the decision to trust you enough to consider investing in you. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell, helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hello and welcome to the Online Marketing Show. I'm your host, Joey Bushnell. Today, I'll be discussing conversion rate optimization with special guest, Adam Homey. Uh, Adam, thank you for being with me today. My pleasure, and I'm really looking forward to sharing some great stuff with your herd today. So, Adam, uh, first of all, how did you get into online marketing? Oh, how did I get into online marketing? It's one of those... Very interesting things. Uh, if I can just kind of rewind a couple steps here. Uh, back in 2002, I completed my MBA, which is Master's in Business Administration from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And at the time, my dream in life was to become a training and development director for a Fortune 500. So I went through the usual process, the interviewing, the networking, the job offers, and everything else. I got a couple great job offers, in fact. In one case, a company created a position just for me, but I turned it all down. Because what happened in the meantime is I ended up reconnecting with one of my previous mentors who, by the time I reconnected with him, owned a training and development company. And he offered me the opportunity to come on board with him and help him do the research to create his presentations, his books, and help to collate data from his consulting assignments so that he could write the recommendations for his clients. Mm -hmm. And this I found to be very quickly very interesting work. And I started doing this on the side while I was looking for my permanent MBA level job while still continuing to hold down my day job, which, you know, that day job was of the nature of the job you take while you're in grad school, basically. Not a bad job, but not my life's work either. Mm -hmm. Now, what ultimately happened is I got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, and I very quickly formed a corporation around the consulting work I was doing on the side with him. And then I ended up doing consulting work with somebody else on the side. And then there was a third. And then we can just fast forward to the next two years, because at the time, I didn't know what I didn't know about just jumping and launching a business. I was trying to figure out the whole thing of making sure I have enough clients to jump and knowing that I, you know, I can't jump until I get a certain number of clients. And ultimately, I got to that point where I was able to give my notice of my job and go full-time with my business. Now, while I was in the hallway at an event three weeks after I left my job and got into the business full-time, in fact, the event was... James Melanchak's College Speaking Boot Camp back in September of 2005, I met somebody in the hall who owned a company that provided support uh, through online marketing to authors, speakers, and entrepreneurs. So I ended up taking on a fourth client where I was doing a lot of these things that we commonly teach under the guise of or under the umbrella of online marketing. And the nature of being in the industry and working for somebody like that or having contractors or subcontractors when you own a company like that is in six months, 
they're either going to be so good, they're going to get their own clients and they're going to move on from you, or they're going to be so bad you wish they would. So uh, fortunately, I turned out to be in the good category. So for three years after that, I owned a company that was a web development firm. And then in 2010, I closed that down and I launched HelpMyWebsiteSell.com, which is an internet marketing consulting firm. It focuses on helping people simplify their online marketing strategies, increase their website conversions, and overall, spend less time editing and maintaining and more time educating and monetizing. Okay, and today we are going to be talking about just that. Uh, we're going to be talking about website conversions. So if a website isn't selling, if it's not converting, and we're trying to figure out the, you know, the reasons for that, what's going wrong, what are the first things that, that you would look at? Well, there are a number of things we can look at for starters, but I can just tell you three right off the top. The first is I'll perform what's known as the five paces back test. And what that basically consists of is I will maximize the size of the website, maximize the size of my browser so it takes up my entire computer screen. Then what I do is I take five paces back, whether I stand up and walk five paces back or I push my chair back five paces or what have you, and then I close my eyes and hold my breath for 10 seconds. What this does is this clears the chatter that's going on in your brain. Mm -hmm. Then, while looking in the direction of the monitor, I'll open my eyes, and without doing that blinking motion to focus, I'll just take note of what's the first thing I notice. And if the first thing I notice on the screen is not congruent with what we believe the website conversion goal to be, then we know that we have a problem and something is not arranged correctly. The second thing I look at is when I go to a web page, I ask myself, why am I here? If I can't, as a first-time visitor, without knowing anything about the business behind that website, give at least some sort of cogent answer to that question, then I know we have a problem. Because if I don't know anything and I can't find it, then that serves no good, especially when we're looking to get more visitors to our web pages. Mm -hmm. The third thing I do is I can install what's known as a heat map. And a heat map, uh, you can use softwares like Crazy Egg and there are some others. What it does, it generates a report on the web page, and this shows you basically where people are clicking, how far down they're scrolling, uh, where the clicks are coming from, what the internal and external navigation looks like, and it gives you a sense of what it is about your web page that people are actually drawn to, what's causing them to click in and click further and look around further. And if the clicks that you're seeing aren't matching the goal that you're hoping for, then you know you have some sort of languaging problem or positioning problem or something is getting in the way of your website sales conversions. Adam, a term that I saw on your website was website micro conversion cycle. And, uh, you know, this intrigued me. I thought it sounded very interesting. So uh, could you tell us a little bit more about this concept, please? All right. So the website micro conversion cycle. Here's what I want folks to think about. When you have somebody visit your web page, you want them to do something. And for folks who come to me and say, hey, what do you mean by website conversions? What does that mean? The way I define website conversions is very simply getting visitors to your web page to do whatever it is you want them to do. So if it's to register for your webinar, sign up for your event, purchase your products, register for a coaching session, join your mastermind, comment on your blog, share your blog, uh, fill out the form on your contact page, anything where you ask somebody to do it and they do it is considered a conversion. Mm -hmm. And what we also have to remember is that – well, some folks, when they think of website conversions, they think of this 
grand event where somebody lands on the web page and then three seconds later they give you $2,000. Well, in the real world, that happens only very sporadically, and it's almost a statistical anomaly. Mm-hmm. But when we think about micro-conversions, the little steps, the little yeses on the way to the big conversion, this is what we mean by micro-conversions. Just to give you a real-world example, when folks go to an automotive dealership, the literature on how to buy a car or how to get a great deal on a car, one of the first things they tell you is to never accept a cup of coffee from the dealer. And in many of the dealer training schools or the salesperson training schools, they say one of the first things you want to do is make sure you get a cup of coffee in that prospect's hand. The reason being is it creates reciprocity and gratitude. Now, certainly that is completely off balance. Well, the car salesperson just gave you a cup of coffee. Now you have to buy the car. That seems kind of weird, but when you think about what's really going on, the reciprocity that's really happening there is this very nice, kind salesperson took a moment to make sure that you had a refreshment, to make sure that you had a nice cup of coffee in your hand or uh, a glass of water or whatever it was you're looking for. Now, you have to remember, this salesperson is somebody who has a family. They have responsibilities. They have bills. They have a mortgage. They have a car payment of their own. They have children they'd like to send to school, and if they don't make some sales, they're not going to meet their quota, which means they're not going to get their bonus, which means they're going to lose their job. So because they were so nice to you to get you that cup of coffee, the least you can do is buy a car. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, 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 yes, a lot of people laugh when I say that, but reciprocity is not necessarily equal. And by handing you that cup of coffee and getting you to say yes to that cup of coffee, that salesperson essentially micro-converted you. I remember three years ago when I was uh, in the dealership to lease the car that I'm driving right now, and at one point the salesperson came over. He was holding a bottle of water with two cups, and he said, hey, I bought this bottle of water. I can't finish this by myself. Want to split it with me? And I said, sure, I'll go for a glass of water. Thanks, but not leasing the car from you today. And he laughed knowingly, mm-hmm. and he laughed even more about an hour later when I signed the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. So uh, micro-conversions as a cycle, would that be a series of steps? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's thinking stepwise and thinking about how you're going to reach the point where you get the ultimate conversion goal. Because, I mean, another way to look at this is let's say that you're trying to coach somebody to lose weight, or let's say that you're looking to lose weight yourself. Now, how many people make these things called New Year's resolutions when they say, you know what, I am going to pig out and I'm going to have double helpings of everything all the way from December 1st all the way up to New Year's Eve, including the New Year's pretzel, of which I'm going to have a triple helping. But darn it, beginning January 2nd, I'm drinking nothing but water, I'm eating nothing but vegetables, and I'm hitting the gym 10 times a week. (laughs) Well, usually if you're somebody who goes to the gym regularly, uh, oftentimes you'll plan sort of a downturn or sort of a break from your regular routine between mm-hmm. January 10th or January 1st and say January 20th because you want to let those three weeks where the New Year's resolution crowd comes in and crowds everything up a uh, chance to dissipate and go back to eating their pretzels. So <laughs> that is why New Year's resolutions don't work because we're looking at some grand thing where we're gonna we're, we're gonna all of a sudden make a drastic change in our life style based on an arbitrary date and by another arbitrary date because a lot of the times these New Year's resolutions are coupled with by March 1st, I will have lost 40 pounds. Well, as you know, by looking around you, that's not the way it works. However, if you have that person who wants to lose weight and 
they're, 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 they're pulling up their jeans and they're saying, you know, I'm having a hard time buttoning this. I just bought this size 46 a month ago and now I might have to go to a 48. Well, the first step they can take is to put down the bag of potato chips. The second step they can take is next time they feel like calling for a pizza to be delivered, they can say, you know what? Tonight I'm going to skip the pizza and I'm going to have myself an apple instead. And it's these little steps. And rather than getting into a vigorous, hardcore workout routine, they may say, okay, so Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm going to do weight training for 30 minutes, and I'm going to walk around the track for 30 minutes. And then after a couple of weeks, they may step that up to weight training four days a week, and that walk becomes a jog. And then so on and so forth, so it becomes incremental. And next thing you know, not only have they lost the weight that they're looking for, but now it's become part of their lifestyle. So through those series of small steps, they micro-convert themselves into the body and the fitness lifestyle they were hoping for. So in the online environment, Adam, this could just be, you know, just as an example, click a Facebook ad, sign up for a webinar, attend the webinar, at the end of the webinar, fill out an application form, uh, and then maybe buy from you. You know, just as an, as, as an example, that could be one scenario. Um, you know, perhaps it could be uh, you're on social media, then they click over to your website, then they see your phone number on their website uh, and give you a call. So it's just these little steps leading prospects along a path towards something bigger uh, and eventually resulting in some sort of significant action being taken. Yeah, you got yeah, you yeah. got absolutely right. That's exactly how it works. Okay, so let's talk about some uh, specifics on websites. And um, I guess a lot of people in the industry would call this conversion rate optimization or CRO for short. Is that what you would call this yourself, Adam? Or, or do you have another term that you would use for improving a website's performance? That term is perfectly fine. Another term I like to focus on is what's called the website conversion conversation. What I like to tell folks is... And this is particularly true if you're in some sort of service industry. From the moment somebody opts into your list for the very first time, becomes a subscriber to your email list, to the point where they raise their hand and say, you know, I'm actually interested in potentially giving you money and investing in you, an average of somewhere between nine months and a year will frequently elapse. And as I said, that's an average. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes five minutes, and I've seen cases where it takes up to five years. So what are we doing in the meantime to make sure that we do get that conversion? The simple answer is to be persistently consistent with what I call the website conversion conversation, which is that whole process of helping people get to know you mm-hmm. so they find their own reasons to like you and make the decision to trust you enough to consider investing in you. We've all heard of know, like, and trust. Well, basically, that's what this is. So through sending out your newsletter regularly, posting to your blog, having a podcast like your podcast, and I have a podcast as well, as do many entrepreneurs, um, having a video blog, regularly doing webinars and teleseminars, being a guest on webinars and teleseminars, this is what we do to regularly and persistently, consistently nurture the website conversion conversation so that we reach people to the point where they are prepared to take action. It certainly doesn't happen overnight, and you also have to bear in mind one other thing, which is you may have a lot of prospects out there who know that they're going to need someone like you, but they don't need you right now. And a classic example of this are personal injury attorneys. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody you know can name a personal injury attorney right off the top of their head because there are so many well-known personal injury attorneys. But they're not likely to call that personal injury attorney and say, hey, I was just wondering what you guys do and what your rates are like and how you work, just in case I ever fall and bump my head. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. When people call a personal injury attorney, it means they've just gotten hurt. 
So they know they may need a personal injury attorney, but they don't need one right now because they haven't fallen and bumped their head. So when they're in that situation where they need a personal injury attorney, they're going to call the personal injury attorney who's been running the ads on the television, who's been running ads in the magazines, the one who regularly shows up on the internet through their own advertising efforts, who's posting videos on YouTube, because they're more likely to Google search this or YouTube search this and use the phone book. And that personal injury attorney, who has been regularly and persistently consistent with their website conversion conversation, is the one who's going to get the call. They're the one who are going to have the client to lose. Brilliant. Adam, I love that because typically when you hear about conversion rate optimization, you know, you're hearing about which, uh, you know, which button works better, the blue one or the green one, or, or how does this image on this website perform compared to this image? You know, and that's okay. I'm sure there's, there's value in that. But what I think that you've just said there is actually far more important. And to be honest, I hear it being talked about a lot less. All that stuff is important uh, because, I mean, we have studies that show that certain types of buttons, certain types of words on buttons are better for conversions than others. And there never, never is any one right answer. What you need to do is test it and find out for yourself. People come to me very frequently and they say, well, I'm just looking for the one answer that's going to help me get the best conversions possible. And I say, well, we got to test it. I remember one time I did a consulting session with somebody who's actually an internationally known marketer. If I said the person's name, you would probably be impressed that I know this person because that's how well-known they are and what a great reputation they have. Mm -hmm. And they came to me and they said, you know, I've spoken with six website conversion experts and they've all told me that, uh, you know, I'm just trying to find out what is the one thing I need to do to really get the conversions I'm looking for. And they all come to me and they say, well, we got to test things and we got to come up with examples and we got to do experiments. And I just don't want to do that. I just want to find the answer. And I said, well, you know, uh, you can add me to that list of people who are going to tell you that you need to do tests and experiments because what worked in one place may not work in another place and you need to find out for yourself. Absolutely. So doing the on-page stuff plus the website conversion conversation, then you've really got a winning combination. Okay, so let's dive deeper into some of this stuff. The first thing I want to ask Adam is how much time do we have to make an impression? You know, how long do we have when someone clicks on our website to get their attention? What are we talking here in, in terms of uh, the number of seconds we have to do this? Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, some folks say you have three seconds. Some folks say you have 10 seconds. Some people say you have seven, seven seconds. It's my experience that people are already making decisions about whether they're not going to work, they're going to work with you while your web page is loading. If your web page takes too long to load, you will be vetoed automatically. If they see the website starting to form on their browser as the CSS loads and the images load and the text starts to load and they don't like what they're seeing as it's coming together, there's a good chance they're going to walk away. So you need to be very focused on who you have visiting your web pages. If I may digress ever so slightly here, one of the things we frequently see in the literature and all of the guru offers in the online marketing space are all these systems and resources to help you get more traffic to your website. And I am here to tell you the very last thing you could possibly want is traffic to your website. You absolutely do not want traffic to your website. And here's the reason why. When I hear the word traffic, I think of the reason why I work out of a home office. Because traffic are a bunch of people coming from a bunch of different directions, all being herded into a very narrow avenue 
they're all being pushed someplace. They may not even necessarily know where they're going to end up. And by the time they get to the end of it, they're probably already frustrated and demoralized just from the experience itself. And website, what is a website? Is it a sales page? Is it a webinar registration page? Is it an event page? Is it a blog? Is it a podcast page? I mean, what is a website? A website can contain all of those things I just mentioned and more, and each one of those things can be a separate website. So what I tell people that they need are visitors to their web pages, visitors who are pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped. Pre-qualified, which means you're speaking to the right people, telling them the right things, and recruiting the right people to come visit your web pages. Prepped, which means when they see the email or they see the social media status update, or they see the ad you purchased, they know what they're getting. Mm -hmm. And pumped, which means they're so excited to get it, that as soon as they click that link to come to your webpage, they're hoping this thing loads within a fraction of a second, because they are on the edge of their seat, ready to take action with you. If we've got a slow website, how do we improve the upload speed? One of the things you can do. First thing that I tell people, because this is one of the biggest mistakes I see, is resize your images. A lot of times when I see websites loading really slowly or web pages loading really slowly, I discover there's like a three meg photograph on there somewhere. Mm -hmm. I cannot think of a web page that requires a three meg image. Resize your images is the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second, if you're one of the 20% or more of the people in the world who are using WordPress to, to power your websites, or if you're using something like Joomla or Drupal or something like that, Make sure that you're not running unnecessary applications or plugins. Uh, through our website review process, one of the things we do with our website review process for our customers is we log into their WordPress and we look at all the plugins they're using. And I swear, at one point, we had a customer who had 94 plugins <laughs> in their WordPress site. And no wonder it took the site 25 seconds to load every single time you navigated to a page. Because every time you opened a page, all 94 of those plugins had to activate. So I challenged this client really hard, and I said, I'm, you know, I see 94 plugins here. So what I need to know are how many of these are tangibly and specifically making it easier for you to manage this website so you spend less time editing and maintaining and more time educating and monetizing. I need to know specifically which one of these plugins are money-making plugins. And then I need to know, in the grand scheme of things, of all the things that all these various plugins do, which of these functions do your customers actually care about? And then the fourth question I want to ask are, how many of these are flavor of the week plugins you bought from your buddy who's a guru who created it just so you can tell him that you bought his plugin? <laughs> and it took a little bit of back and forth, but we got that client to reduce their plugin load to 18. So we went from 90-some to 18 because they recognized they just had a lot of flotsam and jetsam on there that did not need to be there. And so those are two ways that you can shorten the loads or you can shorten the load speed of your web pages. The third way is look at your hosting. The fact is, when you really come down to it, web hosting is either quality web hosting or it's not. And if they don't have servers that will serve your website quickly or that are optimized to help your web pages load faster, just get another web host or tell them to move you to their better, newer servers or you're going to leave. Uh, you just have to be mercenary about it sometimes because the bottom line is your website is no good if it's taking too long to load and people are walking away from it. End of story. Shared hosting, is that a no-no, Adam, or is, or is that okay in some circumstances? 
I think you have to look at, at, at it because I think there are very few people out there who either are able or willing to afford a dedicated server who really feel that their business is big enough to afford, to require a dedicated server. And in many cases, shared hosting is good. So we have to look at a couple things. We have to look at the overall quality of the shared hosting. So look at some reviews and ask some questions of the tech support before you decide to engage in that hosting company. Cause I, I, I know what you're getting at. In some cases, hosting companies will take like 12,000 websites and cram them onto one server. Mm-hmm. So what happens is because you have 12,000 sets of processes all drawing on that same server, it's going to crawl it down to the speed of dirt. And then, because you have so many people just jammed onto that server, if one person commits a no-no, the other 11,999 will be punished for it. So we don't want that either. Now, one way to get yourself ahead when it comes to the shared hosting game is to make sure that you have a business level hosting. And almost every company out there has business hosting. And it's usually somewhere between $150 and $175 a year. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not willing to invest that kind of money in your hosting, then you're probably not all that serious about making money on the web. So you should probably upgrade or tune out. I just hate to say that. But it's very true because when it comes to web hosting in particular, you get what you pay for and cheap can be mighty expensive. Uh, the second thing I say is make sure that you have a dedicated IP address. When you have a dedicated IP address, and you can get this with most business hosting packages, you'll have your own IP address, which means your email will be more likely to get through when you send emails to people because you're not sharing an IP address for your email with a thousand other users. And it creates sort of your own space so that you're, it's less likely you'll get punished for the sins of others because a lot of times things like derankings or getting your email marked as spam or getting your website marked as hostile territory is based on the IP address. So if you have your own IP address that no one else is using and you're doing the right thing, that drastically reduces the chances that you're going to be punished for someone else's sins and overall it's going to help things work better for you. Adam, let's uh, move on to a slightly different topic, Um, the menu structure of a website. Does that matter very much? And if it does, do you have any tips for us? It it matters hugely uh, because what I see happen sometimes is folks will try and jam everything and the kitchen sink into their menu. And what happens is if you have somebody who's visiting your web page for the first time or you have somebody who perhaps you've connected with on Facebook or on LinkedIn or something along those lines, and we're at the point in the website conversion conversation where they're giving you a serious look like they may actually be considering buying your products, attending your event, or hiring your coaching and consulting services, the reason they're going to come to your web page or your website is because at this point they're really trying to get to know more about you. Like my website, helpmywebsitesell.com, I'm fully aware that the purpose of that website is really tell people who already have some level of familiarity with me, get to know my company and how we work so they can make the smart decisions about what's going to work best for their business. I have other websites for lead generation, but helpmywebsitesell.com is about relationship building and helping people understand how my company works and what the values that we deliver. Now, for that reason... That keep my menu on helpmywebsitesell.com very focused towards how the services work, the social proof, and how you get a hold of us to get started. Those are the three things I'm concerned about with helpmywebsitesell.com. Now, I've seen some folks who will take the philosophy that, yeah, we need to put everything on this website so that anybody who's looking for anything can find it. 
Well, the fact is, heat map studies, uh, analytic studies, and other studies show that when there are too many options, people are likely to simply walk away and find a competitor of yours that states things more simply. We had a website review client uh, about four or five years ago, and this was really the sticking point of the review, where I said to them, through the process of the video I filmed for them, I, yeah, I think I said this about 15 times, you know, we've gone through this website, and I've had conversations with you, you filled out our information form about what this website's supposed to be about, about, we've identified the problem you're trying to solve, and I still can't figure out why the hell I'm here, because you have way too much in your menu. And then I sent this video over, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll finally get through to them. 20 minutes later, they come back and they say, you know, I thought about that for a minute, and I realized that the most important thing is to make sure you put everything and the kitchen sink in your menu. So thanks anyway. And I said, you're welcome. So... The answer to, I know that's kind of a background to my answer, but the answer to the question is the menu on your website needs to be linked to the website conversion goals of that site. Mm -hmm. What do you want visitors to that website to be able to do? What do you want them to do? And once you answer that question, you put just enough menu navigation to answer those questions and not a scintilla of more. Now, I'll give you one other little piece of advice here. Let's say that you are a public speaker and you are in the media, like you're getting interviewed on podcasts, you're getting interviewed on uh, BBC, CNN, Fox News, Canal Plus, and all that. Well, what you want to do is make sure that you have two tabs on your website, one of which is for speaking. And this is the area that's for meeting planners, where you have your one sheet for speaking, you have your bio that can be downloaded, you have your speaking topics with your bullet points, you have your fancy headshots and your contact information for speaking and everything else. Then you need a separate section that's press and media where you make it very easy for a reporter to call you because reporters are not going to spend a lot of time figuring it out. They're only going to spend the amount of time on their web on your website to assure themselves you're not a quack. That's it. <laughs> Other than that, they're on a deadline. They don't need they don't have time to go through contact forms or scheduling time with assistance. They need to know who they can call. So you make it real easy for them to call. And if they're the emailing type, you make sure there's an email address, not that, not an email address that goes to your support ticket system where they say, thank you so much for contacting us. A representative will be back to you within 48 hours or less. Please be aware of whitelist and all that. They need an email address that goes to a person who can make sure you give a fast response so that you get quoted into tonight's media story. So, and then that media section will also have uh, some features of some of your previous media appearances, how to book you. It'll also have some of the same headshots. So when people need to take a headshot of you and put it on their newscast or in their blog article or something like that, it's immediately available to them. So speaking and press and media are two different things. Okay, let's move on to content. Everyone is saying, you know, all the time, content marketing this, content marketing that. Definitely, it's one of those buzzwords that's been out there for the last uh, few years. But how do you create content that actually converts? The discussion that we're having today is micro-conversions that lead to something. You know, ultimately, that something is money. So what should we be doing with our content, Adam? Because I know that not all content does convert. So what is the difference between content that converts and content that doesn't convert? 
what you're willing to test and find out what works, basically. Mm -hmm. And the way you figure that out is you be social. Now, the good news for us introverts who can't stand networking functions is we have this thing called social media. So you get into social media, you get into discussion groups, and you speak with people who are your prospective customers, who are your peers, even who are your competitors, and you find out what people are talking about. You find out the burning needs. You find out the questions that need answered, the problems that need solved, and you create content that solves those issues, that answers those questions. That's what will convert. It's a different answer for every single person. Another thing that I saw on your website, Adam, was that you like to use quotes and sound bites to help increase conversions. How does this work? Well, this is where we're talking about pictures of cats with funny captions, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, and where well, well, pictures of cats with funny captions, and also quotes from famous dead people. These are two of the cliches of social marketing, particularly Facebook, where you see a lot of people quoting famous people and a lot of pictures of cats with funny captions on them. The thing is, in our world, we live very much in a soundbite world. If you watch the news, you see how the news is delivered in soundbites. And since the advent of Twitter, we've been taught to share our thoughts and get our point across 140 characters at a time. Plus, because of the instant gratification culture we live in now, where everybody seems to have a smartphone, everybody seems to have a laptop or a tablet, and the things we used to have to work for or yearn for in terms of information gathering are really at our fingertips, people simply will not take the time. So when you can speak in short, concise messages that get people's attention, then you will capture them and move them over to your webpage or to your blog or get them deeper involved in your social media or what have you, where they will then engage in a more protracted website conversion conversation with you and build that know, like, and trust. Okay. My next question is what makes for a good opt-in offer? One, it gets a lot of people to enter their name and email address and click the button. <laughs> but, but seriously, uh, I do have a couple tips for you on that. And again, this is something where the answer will be different for everybody. So I kind of give people a criteria to consider when answering this question. Mm-hmm. The first thing if you want to think about is be absolutely clear who your visitor to your web page is and how you've pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped them so they know what to expect. The mm-hmm. second thing is... Do the wording of your headline for your opt-in offer, the title of your opt-in offer, think about how just with that headline or that title or that opening description, the person who is about to opt-in feels like their question is already getting answered before they opt-in. I know that's a very tall order, but it's actually not so tall when you go about it the right way. Because when I opt into something, and I often do a lot of things because I'm always checking things out, knowing I can just leave later if I decide the message is no longer for me, mm-hmm. uh, I think about, as I read this, and I have this opportunity to become part of this list, to sign up for this thing, to download this thing, I look at, do I already feel like my problem is getting solved, my pain is being alleviated? And if I'm starting to have those feelings, then yes. I can certainly find myself opting into this right now and getting added to this person's list and downloading their information. Now, another thing you can do to help test your opt-in offer is, uh, Joe, you know you have people who are friends of yours or perhaps family members of yours who have absolutely no idea what you do, but yet they ask 20 questions about it and yet they still don't understand. You wish they would just stick to sports. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is where those people who are just absolutely clueless 
get to have their moment in the sun. Because you want somebody who is that detached from any sense of knowing what you're doing to look at your opt-in offer. If they can articulate clearly what you're offering, then you know you're nailing it. If they're still confused, then your more educated, pre-qualified, prepped, and pumped prospect may also be confused. So this is where the 20 questions that go absolutely nowhere, where they finally just give up, then you feel like your time is wasted. This is where they get their moment to show you how much they love you. Okay, how about surveys and self-assessment tools? How can they be used to increase conversions? This is a big piece of what we do at HelpMyWebsiteSell.com, and we frequently do this as part of the pre-launch or pre-pre-launch sequence, as Jeff Walker, the creator of Product Launch Formula, would call it. And the purpose of marketing surveys and self-assessment tools is to do two things. Uh, and I say the secondary thing that they're designed to do is actually collect data. Now, you, of course, you do structure them carefully, and you do be very clear about the type of data you need to get out of this so that you can use it to fine-tune your marketing message, decide what products and services to offer, and things along those lines. Mm -hmm. But the primary purpose of a marketing survey or a self-assessment tool is in how you word the questions, is in how you word the criteria so that you are preceding, meaning P-R-E-S-E-E-D, preceding like you're planting the seeds for your upcoming sales conversion by sharing a bit about your marketing message and dropping hints about what it is you're doing or what it is you're thinking about doing so people can already start to visioning, vision themselves saying yes to this. Uh, just to give you an example of how something we would do with a marketing survey is we had a client who was using a marketing survey as a pre-launch tool for his live event. And one of the questions we asked was, I'm thinking about adding a third day to the event where we'll have a mastermind group where we'll sit around a table and we'll all have hot seats where we'll share each other's business challenges and help each other solve our challenges. Is this something you'd be interested in? And the answers, and there were two ways you could answer that question, and both of them were yes. <laughs> and I'll explain what I mean by this by a second, even though it doesn't look like yes. Okay. The first response was, yes, please, I'm very interested, save me a seat. Mm -hmm. The other answer was, no, I would prefer that type of coaching in private. There was no way you could actually say no to that question. Mm -hmm. Because the real question being asked was, do you want a public hot seat? Or do you want a private hot seat? We weren't saying you don't want one at all. And what was going on with that question is it was letting the respondent know that, hey, this guy is also available to do private coaching. You want to coach? And I will tell you that in the results of that survey, once the results were downloaded and the survey was completed, there were a couple folks who said, hey, I want you as my private coach. Here's my number. Call me. Let's get this going. My final question, Adam, uh, and this is going to take a little bit of explaining to get my um, my meaning across, so please bear with me. What are your thoughts on making it difficult versus making it easy for people to reach you? And I'll let you know why why I'm asking this. Um, basically, you hear different schools of thought on how stringently you should qualify your leads. Some people advocate positioning yourself as an authority figure where you, you make getting in contact with you fairly difficult. You know, people must show that they meet a certain criteria uh, and perhaps even jump through a few hoops just to be able to get in touch with you. The theory being that this will result in less leads, but far more qualified leads. The other school of thought is just to be open, you know, to make sure that on your website, you have your phone number and your email address 
um, or contact form readily available. The theory behind this is that you get a much higher volume of leads, but perhaps the quality of the leads will vary quite wildly. So what's your opinion on this? Should we make it easy or should we make it more difficult? Okay, the first the first thing is uh, I'm going to tell people, and I learned this lesson myself, is stop trying so damn hard to get the perfect prospect calling you every single time. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody show up on your radar screen and you know you, know you can't serve them, just tell them so. I, I'm not the world's expert in exactly how to tell them so, and part of that has to do with your own comfort levels, but as a business owner – as an entrepreneur, you have the right to take on the clients that you want to take on. So if you cannot serve this person, don't spend an inordinate amount of time on them. Uh, tell them so. If you have a resource to refer them to, that's better. But if not, then just simply, you know, just grow a set and be willing to tell somebody flat out, sorry, this sounds great, but we're not really the ideal firm to serve you. That's perfectly okay to do. That being said, what we have found tends to work very well because I see part of what you're asking in the question is you're looking for a balance between uh, being seen as an authority figure and accessibility. What we've seen work well for my business in particular, and this has been working extremely well for us and we've been getting a lot of highly qualified prospects this way. If you go to help my website sell.com here in 2014, you'll notice on the very front page that there's a link where it says you can Click to schedule a consultation, and it takes you right to my scheduler where you get to pick a time that I have available, and I can control my availability from the back end. So if there are certain days that I just don't want calls or I'm going to be on vacation or what have you, then I can just block those off. And it also syncs into my Google calendar so I don't end up with five appointments at the same time. And I ha- and what the person does is they select the time that's available. They briefly answer, I think it's two questions that explain what it is they want to speak with us about, and then they have the opportunity to confirm their appointment. And I can tell you that using that model that we have gotten over 95% conversion in terms of bringing somebody on as a paying customer of everybody who's come in and used that scheduling form. And we've had to turn very few people away. I have had one or two people I had to turn away, and I just said, look, we're not – this is not really what we do here. Uh, we're probably not the best suited firm for this. And they respected that. And if they don't respect it, then there's a block button. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, part of this is, I mean, and I, and, you know, and I hear all this, we have to try so hard to make sure we're only speaking to the right people. That's not possible. A few will always fly over the cuckoo's nest. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But when you are engaging in the right website conversion conversation and you're speaking with prospects who are pre-qualified, prepped and pumped, your success rate will be much higher and your time waste rate will be minimal. Great. Adam, thank you so much for all the fantastic tips that you've given us today. It's really going to help us increase the conversions on our website. How can you help us even further? If we want to go really deep with this topic, what more can you do for us? And and also, how can we find out more about you? What I'd like to do is I'd like to offer all of your listeners a free gift. I have a a website called Business, it's the Business Creators Institute, and we have an entry-level membership there that's 100% free, will not cost you a single penny, where you create a username and password, and you have access to 
I think at this point it's about 14 or 15 training modules on various topics related to website conversions, media and publicity, online marketing, and other things. Every week I put out a video to my list. Uh, I call them the Tuesday Technology Tips where I show you some very quick thing you can do with your technology so you spend less time editing and maintaining your website and more time educating your prospects and monetizing your business. And the Business Creators Institute is the only place where you'll find the sorted list of these technology tips. And I think at this point, there's over a 100 of them. The only place where you'll find a sorted list that makes it easier for you to find exactly what you're looking for. In addition, it has basically what I think of as my Rolodex of resources, where to answer a lot of the questions like, what is the best thing to use for this, I provide a lot of that information for you. So the website is simply www.businesscreatorsinstitute.com. BusinessCreatorsInstitute.com. Just go ahead and set yourself up for a free membership and you'll be off to the races. Fantastic. Um, that's the end of today's show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. If you enjoyed your time with us today, please show your support for the show by leaving us a review on iTunes. Uh, finally, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much for having us. Uh, we are very honored to be here. And again, anybody who's listening who wants to take this further, just want to chat with me some more, just come over to the Business Creators Institute or stop by helpmywebsitesell.com and refer to my answer on how do you contact us. Uh, just tell us uh, where you came from and we'll be happy to speak with you for a few moments. Thanks, Adam. You bet. The Online Marketing Show with Joseph Bushnell, helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.